Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast, where we talk about the scriptures and things in them that have become real to us and how we can draw more power from them as we understand their their way they apply to our lives and the people that are in them. I'm your host, Carrie Mielstein, and I'm so happy to have with me today Camille Frank Olson, who I count as a very dear friend uh, and a mentor of sorts for me. Uh, she was the uh, the department chair was just uh, actually even before that a, a, a mentor in our department and then was the department chair and I was her associate chair and I cannot tell you how much I learned not just about the scriptures but about life and being uh, a Christian and being able to be someone who uh, can navigate uh, both just the, the tricky things of life and interacting with people with grace and charity. I, I look up to Camille in so many ways. And so welcome, Camille. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. And uh, Camille has, uh, as I said, was the department chair of, of the department I'm in, but why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, Camille? Oh, um, I kind of stumbled into the whole profession of teaching religion. It was not part of my plan, but it has been just such a blessing uh, to be able to study and teach scripture for my entire adult life. Um, first um, with seminary age students in the Salt Lake area and then um, Institute for a little while. I was even there a little stint as a Dean of Students at what was then LDS Business College and Institute up at the University of Utah and then down at BYU for about 25 years. And it's um, every aspect and age group and um, program that I got to teach in and institution that I, that I taught with um, has just really been a blessing in my life and shown me how applicable scripture and the gospel is to everyone, no matter what our situation may be. Uh, it was uh, a real blessing to me. I think I was single uh, for decades <laughs> and I found answers to my prayers and to purpose in life from scripture in a way that I never did from typical curriculum in the church that mm. um, was more, much more family oriented. And that also made a difference to me as far as how much God loved me. And so uh, through it all, I, I started understanding how important daughters are to our father in heaven and that he does not hold anything back from us, even though we might not have heard about that during that time. And so, you know, to hear um, our leaders today talk about us as women in the church with priesthood power, I think I understood that maybe not in those terms, but in my personal experience that God had not left me out in the cold because I was not ordained to the priesthood or did not have uh, an ordained priesthood uh, member in my home as my husband. Um, I still had the power of priesthood and the power of the spirit in my home. And that 
there are a lot of lessons, a lot of lessons to learn um, when life doesn't turn out quite the way you expected and you see the direction that God takes you on. It's very good. Yeah. And he's taken you some wonderful, wonderful directions and you've blessed many people's lives, my, my own as well. Um, I was trying to remember, and I know you've told me this before, but I'm old and senile and I can't remember things, but if I remember <laughs> right, you were the, you were the first uh, woman in our department, weren't you? Um, there was, remember Kathy Thomas? Maybe oh Catherine yeah. Oh, Thomas? and I knew Kathy well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. She yeah. was there a few years before me and wasn't there long. I didn't get to work with her that long, unfortunately. But yeah, but then after she left, I was the only one. And then we got Gay coming on the faculty and yeah. Gay Strathern. So yeah, Gay Strathern. Yes. And then you were on a general board for the church, right? Yes. Um, when Ardeth Cap was the young women general president, I was on her board. And then when she was released and Jeanette Hales it was Jeanette Hales then, it become, became Jeanette Hales Beckham. She called me back to her board for the first little while. So I got to serve on both of those boards, which was fascinating. And it was at a time when we got to travel around the church as board members and see the way young women leaders and young women, the contributions they were making in different parts of the world and in different cultures. It was a very educational experience for me. I just wish every member of the church could have an opportunity to, to see the church in action internationally. Yeah. Um, I think we underestimate sometimes here in Utah, where I am and where I've spent most of my life here in Provo, we can sometimes underestimate the strength and contributions of members throughout the church in other places. And we have a lot to learn from them. I agree. I agree. And I would guess uh, that there weren't that many single sisters uh, traveling around doing that at the time you went. I, I feel like you've <laughs> kind of been a, a pioneer in that way a number of times, but so, well, and, and you've also been a pioneer in uh, studying the lives and roles of scripture uh, the, of women in the scriptures. I was about to say scripture and women, which is also true, but we could talk about those, both of those as, as good topics. But uh, I meant to say women in the scriptures. And uh, here we are in the middle of Genesis, where I think you have uh, probably more information uh, about women and women playing more active roles than just about any other place in scripture. We just, uh, I mean, our, our great ancestresses, right? I, I count, uh, I'm proud to be descended from great, great, great grandma, Sarah and Rebecca and Leah and Rachel. I mean, I just, I'm so proud to have them as my, my grandmothers. Uh, and we, we just get a tremendous amount of information about them. And I, I know I've just had enough experience with you to think uh, if anyone could help us uh, understand the lives of those women and the way we can draw power from them and, and make them real for us, it would be you. So I'd just love to, to hear some of your experiences studying uh, any women in the scripture, but maybe we can start with, with some of those women. Okay. Yes. Yes. I think they are so critical and you know, it, it's like every book of scripture starts with a family that where a woman or women play a very prominent and essential role. And you cannot get into that book of scripture without, without encountering that. And I think it is because I've heard for so many years, um, maybe not such positive takes on the women huh. that that I, 
that where I'm trying to find something there that can be helpful for me and or else that they're just kind of skipped over or minimized or marginalized. Um, that's one of the reasons I really wanted to look more into it. And um, these women, the women of the covenant, the mothers of the covenant um, that are right there with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob uh, and not a whit behind. No. Um, are very important. And, and I just, I, I, I go back even to Eve um, when, when the Lord called her a help meet for Adam. And, and I, everything I understand about that term suggests that Adam, at, or let's just say ordained men with priesthood, priesthood ordained men, um, have women in their lives, not just as ornaments, <laughs> right. not simply um, to bear the children, but because they really need them. And and what, maybe I should just say this right up front. I just think the stories, not only here in Genesis, but throughout all of scripture, the rest of the Old Testament specifically, but all of scripture tell me that the greatest good happens when men and women are working together and they really appreciate each other's contributions and know that they cannot do it without the other right where the great things happen and and there's such okay so there's that the next thing is and, and maybe these, i'll just uh, oh, inter yeah. interject for right and just say uh or remind our readers and also point you so uh uh, uh, Rebecca Call, and I think you you know oh, Rebecca yes. Call. She, her dissertation topic is on the the phrase "help me," um, and uh -huh. so we did an interview with her about what that means. And I, it's uh, one of the most uh, fun interviews uh, I've been. It was just great. So I'd, I'd recommend anyone who hadn't heard that one to yes. go back and listen to that one. It's fantastic. And I'm just going to wholeheartedly agree. And I uh, we are best when we work together. And that. Of course, that is true of in marriages, but it goes beyond marriages, right? right. So in the ward right. council and everything else, we need each other. Yeah. And you'll see later in the Old Testament, like Huldah and King Josiah and yeah. and um, oh, Deborah and Barak. I mean, we're, right. you know, they're, they, they're different positions and yet they work together and they help each other. And I, that is just critical. So, so there's that part. And then there's just this idea with women that it, well, the stories in Genesis are sometimes some of the more difficult because we know a lot of more information about these stories than mm. most other family stories in all of scripture. And with that, we find out not one of the individuals it's really without any weakness. They they make they they stumble, they fall, yeah. um, they have weaknesses, and and I think, and I this is telling from my perspective, which is pr very likely different from others' experience. But I grew up just always hearing that if this was the priesthood leader, Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, whatever they did was 100% right. And if they were in disagreement, or they weren't quite in the same way of thinking as their wives, then she was wrong automatically. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as a result, a lot of these women have been thrown under the bus. Yeah. 
And, and I'll tell you, I read the story where I, it seems to me like Rebecca's probably the one who's helping Isaac get things right. Right. I think she's the, I, I'm not trying to short or slight Isaac, but it seems to me if when you said earlier, not one whip behind, I thought, yeah, well, Rebecca's probably one whip ahead. I don't know, but uh, well, anyway, see, so I'm, I'm with we, you on that. We see Isaac when he's older there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we, we really, Isaac is probably the one that we, that we really see personality and, attributes and strengths less than any of the others yeah yeah he's he's kind of ancillary to abraham's story ancillary to rebecca's story ancillary to jacob's story and we don't get much of isaac's story on no, we really don't but rebecca you get a lot about yeah. her and she is a go-getter i yeah. mean oh yeah she is running every time you see her she is just a woman in motion and she's very much in tune with the lord yes i mean she gets at that that revelation um, in Genesis 27, isn't it? Where, where she's told that she's going to have twins. Yeah. Um, and that the younger one will be the leader. Now you don't get an answer to a prayer like that, unless you've been in communication with the father for a while. I mean, yeah, I agree. She knew that. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I don't know, you see just looking at that one example, you wonder, did she ever tell Isaac about that? Was she given permission to tell Isaac about that? Mm. Um, what did Isaac think about it? I mean, would it be far-fetched that Isaac, if he did hear it, would say, oh, those are idle wives tales, like the mm -hmm. apostle said about the women in the new, you know, after yeah. they reported the empty tomb. I mean, those things have happened and, and we know they happened today, but you don't know, but, Interesting, the Lord sent Rebecca at just a time as that. Yeah. And maybe it wasn't the most understandable way of making sure the right son got the blessing that the father wanted him to get, but it happened. I remember, now I don't have this quote right with me, but I remember a quote from Elder McConkie where he said, oh, that all women could Rebecca-like engineer things so that more of God's children could receive the blessing that he has for them. <laughs> oh. And, and I just think, yeah, instead of saying, Rebecca, how terrible, look at, look at right in, in um, Romans mm -hmm. uh, where Paul talks about how important what Rebecca did and, and give an example of election that here, these Jacob was chosen before he was born but it was still not just because of pre-mortal life, but what he would choices he would make in this life. And so, yeah, Rebecca is the mother that knew that and was given that information. She was given that not just so she could sit on the sideline, right? right she was given right. that information so she could help prepare him. And, and, and that's, see, I'm just kind of, you can go in how many different directions I I just really think you start looking at these um, mothers of the covenant and they, they were administrators of a lot of the, the gospel and the principles that were needing to happen. I've read that in section 132 of the doctrine and covenants that Sarah administered unto Abraham mm. and, and you their role oftentimes is making sure it seems like that the right son receives 
the covenant blessing to be leader. It doesn't exclude any of the other children right. from receiving the blessings of the, the covenant, nor does it exclude the daughters or other the wives, um, mothers that are not mother of the covenant son, the son that gets the leadership of the covenant. But there is a responsibility there that it seems the Lord places in these women and they take it seriously. Yeah. And, and just for our audience, that's Romans nine, I believe where that you were talking about. And, and I think it does explain well that, that whole administrating thing that Rebecca does. So anyway, sorry, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then another one, just speaking of Rebecca, before, well, cause we just kind of got on her, but um, Hebrews 11 is another one that if you ever think that somehow Isaac was schnookered and really as the priesthood holder, he would know who would get the, the blessing and that he was tricked into giving the wrong son the blessing and all the problems that leads to if you want to go down that road. I love Hebrews 11, this great roll call of the faithful. Remember, by faith, mm -hmm. these people mm -hmm. do all of these things that they are so sure of. They act even when they don't have all the evidence of unseen things. It's there that by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Yep. Um, so that's, I go back to that quote from Elder McConkie. She creates an environment so the spirit can be there. And he's not dependent on his sight or his smell or what the sound of the voice of this son. He is completely dependent on the spirit. And the spirit tells him this is the son that he is to give this blessing to. And I think that's also a helpful thing. And that in, in my mind, there is no reason to feel uncomfortable with her being involved in that process. They are a partnership. Yep. They need each other. And in that is one time you really see how much um, he needed that help meet yeah. for him. <laughs> that's exactly that. That's well said. That's well said. Should I give you another example? And it's not in Genesis, yeah. but it's barely in Exodus, but it's yeah. kind of fun. Yeah. And it's one that we don't see as much again, because um, it's in the Joseph Smith translation in the appendix. Hmm. But, and I wonder how many of your listeners will be aware of the time. Um, Moses is married. Remember, we mm -hmm. know her name, right? Zipporah. Mm -hmm. She's the oldest daughter of Jethro, who's a Midianite, who's a descendant of Abraham, right. who has Sir the Keturah. Holy Priesthood, which yeah. is a whole other thing. Again, saying how this priesthood blessing is not just with Isaac and the yeah. son that is receiving that, but it goes across the board, the whole family. But um, that, that the Lord is ready to take Moses's life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because for some reason that it doesn't explain to us, Moses won't circumcise his son. And, and you go, I don't know what the, what Moses's reason was, but I love this. This is in Exodus chapter four, and you see it in the, in, should we go there? Yeah, in the Joseph Smith right translation. In the, in the Joseph Smith translation. Yeah, so it's in the in the appendix, and I think we're looking at the Exodus chapter four, verses twenty-four through twenty-seven. I'm sure passage. that's it. And yeah. and you know, I talk. I you see what people that just have the Bible were just, and they think Zipporah is some hmm, 
you know, unbeliever, um, outsider to the knowledge of the gospel, worshiper of idols. We know differently because of the doctrine and covenants and Jethro's. We, we know Jethro is a high priest, and he's the one that has ordained yes. uh, Moses to the Melchizedek priesthood, and he's a righteous man. And so she's she's grown up in a faithful household. Yes, yes. And so she's coming from that. She's she's probably had a lot more background with the gospel than Moses has yep. at this point, you know? Yep. She's grown up with it, exactly. And, and, and so you think, okay, oh, dear, I can just see. Here the wife is saying, oh, dear, that's not my responsibility. That's his. And I'm by Moses. Sorry, um, God's going to kill you. You've been nice as a husband. I guess I'll say goodbye <laughs> to you now. But, but that's not. Um, so Exodus 4, 24. And it came to pass that the Lord appeared unto him as he was on the way by the inn. And the Lord was angry with Moses and his hand was about to fall upon him to kill him for he had not circumcised his son. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and circumcised her son and cast the stone at her at his feet and said, surely thou art a bloody husband unto me. And the Lord spared Moses and let him go because Zipporah, his wife circumcised the child. Um, It's just, she does it. She does it. And it saves Moses's life. Now I bet that day Moses was quite thrilled to have Zipporah around. Yeah, well, it says right at the end, he was ashamed and he hid his face from the Lord and said, I've sinned before the Lord, right? Yeah, so I, I, he, it's, it's, and I kind of read Isaac the same way, like, oh, all right, now I get it. Thank goodness my wife <laughs> stepped yeah. in there, right? Yeah, before we go, just one more, just while we're there, I've often looked at that, surely thou art a bloody husband unto me. Um. Let me tell you how I read that. And I don't know. I have nothing to go on this. So I'd like your thoughts on it. Because when I think about blood and I think of covenant and cutting covenants, and I want to say, thou art a covenant husband unto me. I'm not letting you go. I'm going to do everything to save you too. I mean, that I am bound to you. Right. I am. We are. We are bound to the Lord and I will come here and help to save you. Uh, th- that's how it sounds to me, right? That's, uh, you know, this is, I, I almost feel like she's saying, this is not my job. I'm not the one who's supposed to do this cutting, have this blood come and, and, and all this, that's supposed to be your job, but I did it because I, I wanted to keep this family working the way it needs to and yes. keep this all together. And, and so I'm not real happy that I had to do this, but I did it because that's what we needed to do. And then I, at least the way I read that second part is Moses is like, Okay. Yep. I blew that. I I'm ashamed. And, and, uh, thank goodness, uh, that my wife helped me get where I need to be. And it's kind of like Nephi and Lehi, you know, when, when Lehi starts to murmur and so Nephi goes out and, and, you know, praise, what can I do? And he, you know, when he breaks the bow and then goes back to his father, I think in some ways this whole thing enables, Moses to become stronger than he has and Isaac to acknowledge and keep going. There's that. Um, what is it in, in chapter 20, 21 of Genesis when uh, um, Isaac is born, well, he's being weaned and, and Sarah comes up with the idea. We got to yeah. send Hagar and, and Ishmael away. Right. And Abraham doesn't want to do it. It's 21, Genesis 21, 
verse 10, Sarah said, cast out this bondwoman because Ishmael, who we know very well, he's, he's 13 when he is circumcised before Isaac is even conceived. Yeah. Yep. And they weaned later. So he's got to be 16, 17. I mean, yeah, he's an older teen. Yeah. And, and the difference in age is dramatic. And I can see Ishmael just going, this is hardly fair. You know, he was the heir for so long and here comes this little whippersnapper. Anyway, it's not a lovely family dynamic. And Sarah comes up with the idea. We got to get rid of him because this is not going to be safe for Isaac. And verse 11, the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. Yeah, and who, who he has Abraham. raised for like 16 years and is so close to, right? I know. it, And I think yeah. he loves him. And I really think Sarah loves Ishmael too. I would guess so. But I think, again, it's kind of like Esau and Jacob. It says, Rebecca loved Jacob. I don't think that means she doesn't love Esau. But she's been, she knows of a particular responsibility she's been given. Yeah. With the son that's going to be the covenant leader. Yep. And, and. And they take it seriously. But it's, yeah, Abraham goes, I don't want to, no, I don't want him to go. God said unto Abraham, let it be not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman who are right. Mm-hmm. And all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice. That's, you know, there it is again. Maybe Sarah is seeing this more clearly at this particular time. You know, and, Go ahead. Well, I'd never thought of this before, but as you were talking about this, I can see an interesting parallel that I I think bears out what you're saying, that Sarah had it right, because we're going to see a little bit later, uh, well, a generation later, Joseph is younger than all of his brothers, uh, and and they've had this relationship with Jacob and so on, but now it's clear that Joseph is going to have this leadership thing, and and Rachel's dead, and no (laughs) one steps in to protect Joseph from his brothers. And it, well, it does end well, just because God gets involved a lot later, but for a little while, it doesn't end well, right? This God has to step in to save Joseph because his brothers are this, this dynamic doesn't work for them. Whereas in this case, most likely that's what would have happened with between Isaac and uh, Ishmael. But Sarah steps in to, to take care of that. Whereas Joseph is missing. And Rebecca steps in between Esau and Jacob. Yep, she does. And yeah. and uh, what was the other one? I think, you know, when you bring up Joseph, you see Judah being the ringleader, right? Oh, yeah. Of wanting yeah. to kill or then sell yeah. Joseph and succeeds. I mean, he's pretty dastardly. And then what does he do? Go marry a Canaanite woman and has three sons. Yeah. He There's plenty of evidence to say the Canaanites have much more influence on him than he's had on them with his religious background yeah. and then suddenly there's just a couple of chapters and then what do we see um joseph is there in as a leader in egypt and the family comes and he recognizes them but they don't recognize him and he sets up a little test for them where he hides benjamin's silver cup remember yeah, yeah. and then he says oh benjamin this this young man is guilty. We're going to have to, you know, punish him. He's a criminal. And who is it that steps up and says, no, take me, but not him. Yeah. It's Judah. And you yeah. go, what happened? 
This is not the same Judah that sold Joseph. No, it's not. And the only story in between with Joseph, with Judah is the story of his daughter-in-law, Tamar, mm -hmm. in Genesis 38. And it's a story we typically like to pass over because culturally it is so weird in our day. Right. But it perfectly fit in that day. And it's one of those examples where you see where women are not given a whole lot of privileges and, and say in some ways they have to use their wit and they, they work within the rules that they are given and come up with ingenious um, solutions that actually save that, that line that God yeah. has, has, has foreordained to be um, the leaders. You read the story of Tamar, nowhere is she really called a harlot except in the chapter heading and in Judah's mind? Yeah. I don't think Tamar was saying, Ooh, I'm going to go trap him. I'm going to pretend. No. She wants to go see if that youngest son is truly still too young to marry because in the rules of the day, Tamar had no life at all. She had been married to Judah's son who died. The Lord took his life. He was so wicked. And then the second, then she's married to the second son because the first son didn't have any children by Tamar. And you've got to have yep. the lineage to remember the name of those fathers. And so Tamar is handed down to the next son. The Lord takes him because he's every bit as wicked as his older brother. And I get the feeling Judah knows very well that youngest, youngest son, Shayla, is just as bad as his big brother. So he's keeping him away because... The same thing's going to happen. And and what does Tamar have? She has not, she has to go back to her family. There's no place else for her to go. She can't marry anyone else. If she even begins to do that, she'll she'll be executed for for um, adultery because she's yeah. married to this family. But this family so has abandoned is, her. Yeah. Excuse me. But this family has abandoned her. Right. The family That's that right. she she's and, now. But, but, and so she has to say, what can I do? This is the only family. So I hear Judah is coming through, but not right in my town, but just outside. I'm going to go out there. And she covers herself with veils. So I think so that he doesn't recognize her because the idea is she doesn't want him to see her. He'll scurry the other way. She wants to see him. And hopefully Shayla is there to see if he's old enough. But a lot of times... Um, we say, oh, she dressed up like a harlot. No. Who wore veils in, in Genesis? <laughs> Rebecca. Leah does. That's how yeah. Jacob can't tell it's Rachel. That's Leah, not Rachel. Right. Rebecca does in preparation to meeting her future husband. Yeah. It's, it's those traditions are, it's those stories of Leah and Rachel and, and Rebecca that have the tradition today that brides wear veils and it, it's 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 wonderful harlots didn't wear veils um that was one of the the laws that they had to show themselves for who they really were but we just go oh yeah she must have been trapping him because it's judah and it's the woman that's wrong and this seems such a weird story but i think she goes out there she's got herself covered so she can see and what does she notice Shayla's there and he is too old enough. But then Judah notices her and he just, here's this woman sitting all alone on this rock. He just can't pass it up. He comes and propositions her 
And that's the moment it seems like the Tamara is saying, you know, he's part of the family. He's not going to give me Shayla. It's still, and in the rights, yep. the family, he is, he is an appropriate husband for her or yep. father of a child so that yep. she can have some kind of life, some future that she yep. doesn't have. And so he sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant. She doesn't know. I mean, neither one of them know this, but he's just, wants to pay her. And he, she says, well, give me something that I can recognize you by. <laughs> and he gives his staff that must have had some personal inscription on it Yeah. for, for Jacob, um, or excuse me, for Judah and, and his signet. Um, what I can understand about that, it's a signet that probably was a, a scroll a roll like yeah. a clay roll that would be on a cord around his neck that you would yeah. roll right in clay that would seal things that it would so be that when you roll it across the, the clay, yes. it says something. It says something and it would yeah. identify him. Yeah. And so he gave her those things and left. And when he tried to send back um, a kid, an animal um, to pay this harlot in town. No one knows. We don't have harlots around here. And so went back and Judah goes, well, she doesn't want it. I guess that's okay. You know? And then he finds out Tamar is pregnant and he says, you know, bring her here so that we, she, she could, she'll die. We'll kill her. That's he's ready to kill her. Yeah. And she's going to her death and she pauses and said, just, you know, by the way, it is by this man that I am with child and shows the signet and the staff. And that's when Judah says she has been more righteous than I. And she gives, she gives birth to twins who are, you fought, you, you see that that is the first woman named in Matthew chapter one with yep. the lineage of Jesus Christ. Yep. It doesn't mention Sarah. It doesn't mention Rebecca. It doesn't mention Leah or Re Rachel. The first woman is Tamar yep. that bore Judah, um, these sons, and it's through that line. And I, I think in so many ways, there's something about that that reminds us. One, Tamar saved Judah. Yeah. It changed I, I, I think it is when he changes. It or at least starts to change. Him. Yeah. And um, it, it, it saved that lineage that was the royal lineage Um that Christ is going to be born into. Yeah. Yeah. David there, there and Christ. And when you read about the children of Israel, how many generations later coming out of Egypt with Moses, you read about the descendants of Shelah. Yeah. So it, it saves that line as well, yeah. that he yeah. becomes part of that. So yeah, there, you know, these are, they're sticky kind of they're not the bedtime stories that we think about telling for much of the time but they show the moxie of so many women that had to work in in unfair circumstances at times but in ways that that saved people that god had foreordained to do important things absolutely and it, it's 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 marvelous we don't know know as much about them all the time but god certainly does uh, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I know one of the things that uh, a lot of, uh, and I don't know, it's uh, 
odd or awkward for me I, I, you may not know but i'm not a woman i'm a man and so uh uh it's sometimes odd or awkward for me to talk about uh some of this but i i find that a lot of uh my uh, friends and family members who are women and, and acquaintances acquaintances of mine they feel like as they read the stories uh, in genesis or elsewhere that um the women are largely interacting with god only through their husbands and not uh, as themselves, that they're not represented in society in a way that seems to be fair and so on. And, and certainly the society, I mean, even our society is still grappling with that, but that society was, uh, I don't know if they were grappling with it, but they had, uh, they certainly weren't represented the way we would like for them to be. Uh, women weren't, but I'd love your thoughts on that. And if there's some stories yeah. that uh, stick out to you particularly, or uh, that yeah. you've identified with, or that have helped you. Oh, I, you know, I, I think I grapple with that and that's one of the reasons, one of the great blessings I have discovered from trying to study scripture from the lens and experience of the women that I find, I find there's far more there than I ever knew before, as far as the strength and the spiritual um, maturity and connection with God individually that these women had. And I think in many ways, we have for so long been dependent on what can be presented in 30 minutes in a gospel doctrine class, for example, <laughs> which is typically the same thing that we heard four years before, because that's what we're familiar with. And we just kind of tell the same stories in the same way. And with the same kind of idea of, of personality and strengths and weaknesses for each character. But you go back and you start asking questions about what it was like and what could you do in that culture at that time as a woman and why God, what, where is God in this story? Because truly scripture is not about telling, the purpose of it is not to tell these individual stories of these people or their families. It is how these people and these families can bring us to Christ. Yeah. And he's, he's the focal point. And so you go, why is this story here? And what does this have to do with Christ? What does this have to do with our father in heaven? What does it have to do with the plan of redemption? What does it have to do with the new and everlasting covenant? What is in here? And so you go back and look at it that way. And suddenly, um, used to, one of the things, and you don't have to even look at it this way to find that so many of these women in Genesis seem to be barren. Mm. Um, and, and it just almost like, really, is this really happening? It's every generation. There's, I mean, Sarah, we know that she's 99 when she first, well, and we don't know, I don't know if what, if that translates to our number of years, but she was well beyond the time of women. I mean, she'd passed menopause whenever that was, she was older. And, um, then you get Rebecca that 20 years before she gets pregnant. And then, of course, Rachel and, and she sees her sister, Leah, having children, um, you know, it, and then it goes into others later in the Old Testament. But you're just struck by this and you have to ask the question, why? What is why is this important? Why would the Lord do this? And at the same time, you're seeing other women like Hagar. Um, who has no problem getting pregnant and having a child, a son, yeah, or Leah. Too. yeah, and Leah, 
but in some ways they are also barren. Um, Hagar is barren as to the her place in 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 that family. She's mm. an, still an outsider, not to God, you know, the, not the covenant. She becomes part of that. She and her son, mm-hmm. but but she doesn't feel the same love and acceptance. I mean, she and Sarah are not close friends. And and Ray, uh, Re, excuse me, Leah. I, Every way I look at it, I know we like to soften it, but the Hebrew word I think really is hate. I can't find it any other way that Jacob hated Leah. And we'd like to say, oh, he didn't. But anyway, it was it was a very uncomfortable relationship as far as just feeling accepted and loved. Well, and, and just think of how it started out and the difficulties that places on both of them uh, to, I, I mean, Jacob has to feel completely duped and tricked and betrayed and, and leah and has to feel the oh, one that yeah leah's she's the cause of it supposedly you know right. she's a reminder of that yeah and whereas leah has to feel so unwanted mm-hmm. i mean who, who wants to be well the reason i got married is because i tricked someone who didn't want to marry me wanted to marry someone else how even if Jacob, uh, and I mean, I, I, I hope, well, you, you get the feeling at least that by the time they're at the river and Jacob's wrestling with an angel that he loves his entire family. But uh, so well, I, I hope Jacob gets there. But I, I, I would guess that at the beginning, Leah has to feel like, of course, Jacob hates me, however much Jacob does or doesn't. And, and I think there's probably a range of emotions they both go through. But I think Leah will always perceive being unloved because of the way the relationship starts. Um, and, and yet I'd like to, yeah, then you start thinking, okay, what happens? But as a result of being barren, of being without whatever, yeah. and She's every an one of us and are experiencing it in some way. Yeah. In every case, you see the Lord right there. I, I just love to see the experience with the Lord in Hagar. First, when she's pregnant and races off and says, I'm leaving because Sarah, her mistress, is being so unkind to her. And the Lord there sends an angel, right, and talks to her and tells her, no, you go back. And, and you know, you face, you, you go back. He sends her back to Sarah. And he promises her that she'll have a son and his name will be Ishmael. And he'll be a father of of 12 nations. He's mm-hmm. going to be great and very important. And Sarah, or excuse me, Hagar calls the name of that well, uh, the name she gives to God, which is the one who sees me. Yeah. And I just feel in her, it, it's one of those rarities that she's noticed. She's not just on the side and just not important. He sees her. And she never forgets it. And you notice later how often Rebecca and Isaac stay there. And the, the right there, they live there by the well, yeah. named after Hagar. And it retains that name. Yeah. Um, and then later, you know, after uh, like we just read where Ishmael and Hagar are sent away, I don't think they're gone very far. I think they know where they are because Isaac knows right where to find Ishmael when their father dies and they're there together to bury mm. him. And later Esau 
is is repentant and he's seen what has happened and how he's just hurt his his parents when he married out of the covenant and and now i think he's changed he's cha- he's starting to say okay i got to do something different and he marries ishmael's daughter he knows where to find her and when we see isaac and jacob come together 20 years later I'm telling you, it is Esau that is just such an example of love and compassion and forgiveness. And, um, I, you know, you don't owe me anything, Jacob. We are brothers and and they are there together. Um, I don't know where I was, but hey, that that all is is because God saw Hagar and she goes back. And because she goes back, both she and her son can be part of the covenant, right? Mm -hmm. Because the covenant is given after that. Mm. And then you look at Leah. I mean, in in every one of her sons, she names a name that reminds her and that child that God loves her and hears her and has a a place of importance for her. Um, And even, you know, I, I just think, I pull open this one, um, Genesis 33. This is my favorite place. And it gives me a hand of the future. Laban, Rachel and, and Leah's father has tricked uh, Jacob one too many times, you know, in these 20 years. And now the Lord is saying, it's time for you to go take your wives, take your children, take your livestock that you have earned and go. And, and, um, oh no, it's not 33. It is 31. So here in, in Genesis 31, um, Jacob knows it's time to go, but he's very conscious of his wives, especially Lee and Rachel. Mm-hmm. And verse four, Leah sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field unto his flock. And he said unto them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not toward me as before, but with God of my father hath been, but the God of my father hath been with me. And he goes on and relates what has happened and now what the Lord has said. And verse 14, Leah, or Rachel and Leah answered and said unto them, If there is there yet any portion of or inheritance for us in our father's house, I mean, dark aren't we worth anything don't we get anything so why should we be feeling guilty about leading him look what we have have done and and verse 16 for all the riches which god hath taken from our father that is ours and our children's um we have that's that's ours now then whatsoever god hath said unto thee do um and it is a united family decision that that leads them now out of Padamaram and back down to the inheritance land given to Abraham and his, his family. And I, you see that. And then you watch what happens on the way back as Rachel gives birth to Benjamin. And this time she doesn't make it. She dies in childbirth. And I think about Leah, who now is in many ways, she's going to be the one raising him, right? Yeah. And, and young Joseph. We don't see those pages, but I like to think 
that there is something that has happened that you see a glimpse of here in chapter 31 and that only expands and grows as they appreciate each other. I remember reading an, um, a Jewish rabbinic tradition that was um, another kind of little take on the marriage of Jacob to these two sisters. And it was that Rachel was aware of what her father was scheming and she talked to Leah about it and they collect, they together made the decision. We will do this, but we will, you know, we're in agreement and we will work together. And it was a much more um, amicable hmm. family situation, which there's parts of, you know, I love that. I like to think that Lee and Rachel had a lot of experiences of being close and appreciating and understanding each other and that we don't reduce it to simply the competition of who has the most children, which is too easy to do. And I think it's not really fair to either one of them. Yeah. And not reflective of most sibling relationships, right? Yeah. Most sibling relationships have a whole lot of things in them and some of it can be competitive and tough and still it can be overall really rich and and but so looking at that big picture i just think there is something you can look in every case of every one of those women hagar sarah rebecca leah rachel and in every case it's in those times of real difficulty of barrenness so to speak that they find a relationship with god that i don't know if they would have had in quite the same way otherwise Mm. I think it has enriched their spiritual communication and that they know not because, oh yes, I've got to go talk to my husband and see what I, he thinks I ought to do. They have a voice and they use that voice um, in supporting and acknowledging God's will and helping the family to go in that direction. But I, I don't know if they would have been as strong without some of these difficulties. It, mm-hmm. Isn't it when we have life not turning out the way we think it will, that we start asking for questions, we ask questions of God in deeper and more meaningful ways, that suddenly the trite answers just aren't making it. And we need to know for ourselves. And it's in those circumstances that we find out that God sees me, that God hears me, and he has a mission for me to accomplish. And I think that's, I think you can find that in these pages and it's not exceptionally hard to find it. When you look at it from their experience, they are there. And we do these women a disservice when we choose to skip over their their sacrifices, their contributions, and their incredible faith, even while being imperfect individuals. Well, that's good. And and one thing I think I, I, I hear you saying is that while it may be in some aspects of ritual, whether that be circumcision or uh, whatever else, uh, there's a, a role that their husband plays when it comes down to their relationship with God, that's between them and God. Uh, yes. Now, now, of course, that relationship will affect the relationship with their family and their family's relationship will affect them, which affects their relationship with God. But but they're not dependent upon their husband 
to have a relationship with God. That happens as they are reaching out to God in their needs. Yeah. And, you know, you could have told this story. The author of Genesis could have easily told this story, just not even mentioning the women, just simply talking about the children, the sons that these Mm -hmm. men had. But you couldn't do just it. That's not the story. You can't tell the story without these women. And every one of them, we have their names. And that doesn't mean they're more important than those whose whose names we do not know. But, oh, let's let me. I, I think their contributions are greater than we typically envision just because we don't have all the details, but you read between the lines, they're, they're the, the cohesive glue mm. in these families in very difficult circumstances. And they're showing moxie. They're showing incredible strength, but look at section 131 of the doctrine and covenants. That's a good one to finish up talking about the women of Genesis. I mean, there's a lot you can talk about them. Did I say 131? I meant 132. Okay, 132. Doctrine and Covenants 132. And in this, um, you know, even look, this is, we see a lot of this with plural marriage, but I don't know a lot lot to do with a lot of that. But look, I, I understand this, I think. Verse 34, God commanded Abraham and Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham to wife. I mean, that seems to suggest God is is clearly blessing the union between Hagar and Abraham. Yeah. And, And why did she do it? Because this was the law and from Hagar sprang many people. That this therefore was fulfilling, among other things, the promises. Again, she's part of the covenant promises, and her mm-hmm. son Ishmael and his children. Is Abraham under condemnation? Nay. And then Abraham commanded, verse 36, to offer his son Isaac, um, but he's not under condemnation for that. Verse 37, Abraham received concubines. You might see a reference to Keturah in that. Yeah. Perhaps. And, Which, they and that's to, where uh, Midian or Jethro's yes, father-in-law comes through, right? That's right. And it was accounted unto him for righteousness because they were given unto him. And he abode in my law as Isaac also and Jacob did none other things than that which they were commanded. Well, we already know they they're not perfect. I mean, they they make mistakes. They stumble. But God enables them with his grace and his mercy and they come back and and do better. And so he's saying, yep, they're good. And because they did none other things than that, which they were commanded, they have entered into their exaltation according to the promises and sit upon thrones and are not gods are, are not angels, but are gods. Well, what does that say? If these men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are not angels, but are gods. That's exaltation. And what mm-hmm. did we just read in the section before 131? That only happens with a husband and a wife. So what does it say through the context? And you can see it implied here. Hagar, Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, Rachel, Zilpah, Bilhah. Yeah. <laughs> they are all there. They are goddesses. They aren't angels. They're exalted. And, and um, you know, why do we, 
we don't need to be upset or hurt that we see them in a weakness someplace along the way, or that their relationships are not just always glorious. No, no, it should be comforting to us. It's comforting because we relate to that. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons I love the Old Testament. It is just so real. It is so human. And it the, the, the authors who are recording these stories aren't trying to make men and women who are trying to follow Jehovah into gods themselves right now. They show that they have need of a redeemer yeah. and that the redeemer uses them to bring about his work. And that should give us a lot of hope and comfort. That's beautiful. That's, that's, that's profound. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe uh, this has been so much fun for me and, and, and wonderful stuff. Maybe uh, another time we can get together and, and uh, talk about women of the Exodus. There's some great uh, women in the Exodus oh, story as well. Yes. So maybe we and, can do women in Genesis today and we'll do women of Exodus another time. Oh, that, there are some really good ones. Yes. Okay. We'll, we'll plan it up, but I'm so grateful for you, Camille. And, and uh, both because you explain this stuff so well, but you make it so real. Uh, and, and part of that is because of the way you've drawn it into your own life. Uh, as you've said, uh, during some of the things you've gone through and these women were inspiration uh, and, and uh, direction for you in your life. Uh, and hopefully uh, that helps all of our listening audience make them a little more real for them. Everyone has different challenges, different trials, different things the Lord is trying to teach them. Uh, but the scriptures, uh, when we can identify with them this way, have more power to help us through those, those challenges and learning experiences. And I think you've helped us with that today. So thank you. Well, thank you. It's been a delight being with you again, Carrie. Uh, likewise. And it's always fun to talk about the scriptures. So good scriptures with good company. You can't go too wrong. So That's good. well, good. we'll encourage our, our audience. If this was helpful for you to, to let other people know about it, we just, we're doing this to help other people. So the more people we help, the happier we are. So Thank you and uh, have a wonderful day and, and go and read your scriptures. We hope you're listening to us, but we hope you also get into the scriptures themselves and, and read those stories uh, and, and draw power from the scriptures themselves. Thank you. 